What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 175. And today we are talking about several unexplained mysteries and phenomena that we thought were really interesting, but they are not quite long enough for a full episode of our show. So we kind of are combining them into one. So we're going to be doing three short, kind of short, still going to be a long episode. Yeah, there's still a lot to them. (laughs) They're not like, you know, going to take five minutes or anything. No, but they're really interesting and... We wanted to include them in the show anyway. And we've wanted to do some more like non-true crime stuff because I know a lot of you out there listen to our show because obviously we cover a lot of really good true crime. Variety. But, but we also are really interested in a lot of other stuff, yeah. including unexplained mysteries, phenomena, the paranormal. There's some paranormal aspects to uh, some of these as well. So my definitely my favorite kind of topics to talk about. Yeah. But before we get into that, I wanted to let you guys know that we have an exciting giveaway going on for Higher Love Wellness we actually just recently dropped our tropical gummy blend. We're so excited about it. The flavors are amazing. So I think you guys will really enjoy that, especially if you've tried our other gummies. These ones are just as good. So we're going to have five winners, and each winner is going to win a tropical gummies, a watermelon oil, and a pineapple oil. So we can kind of celebrate the end of summer here. Boo, end of summer. Yeah, I know. I guess that's really not something to celebrate. But anyway. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Maybe I you love can make fall. summer like keep going for you, though, if you're a big summer lover. It gives me just, summer vibes for sure. Oh, it does. It well, I was munching on some mango gummies earlier and I was like, <sighs> summer vibes forever. Baby. They're really good. Yeah, our tropical blend is mango, pineapple and watermelon. They're all so delicious. I think you guys are going to love them. So there'll be five winners and there's going to be a link below to enter since We wanted to make it accessible for people that aren't on Twitter and Instagram. So now if you have an email, you can enter. And that will be going from September 6th to September 13th. Also, just as a reminder, as a listener of the show, you can always save 10% off your order at higherlovewellness.com using code HOMIES. And that is, you can use that as much as you want. So enter the giveaway, but also check out all the new cool stuff we've got going on at higherlovewellness.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Pill Club, Third Love, HelloFresh, Raycon, and Native. But let's go ahead and just jump right into things. The first one is probably my favorite unexplained mystery that we're going to talk about today. Because this one Mm. is actually really, really creepy. Yeah, um, And definitely has some potential paranormal aspects to it. And with all three of these, there is a possibility of there being a completely natural explanation or perhaps even somebody could be hoaxing these things potentially Mm -hmm. so you'll have to you know at the end of it actually try to make up your mind on whether or not you actually believe sort of these mysteries so the first one we're going to be talking about is the belmez faces so this takes place in a small village in southern spain called belmez de la moraleda and it has less than 2,000 residents and it's been mostly known for producing olive oil but that all changed on august 23rd 1971 Maria Gomez Pereira was frying peppers in her kitchen when she noticed an odd stain on the concrete floor. She sat there and watched the stain over the next few days, and it seemed to change shape and eventually transformed into the face of a man, which I think for anybody that would absolutely terrify you if a stain on your floor started resembling anything other than a stain on the floor. And she was obviously terrified and desperately tried to scrub the stain off of the floor. So here is an image of the face. What do you guys think? I feel like if you look at anything long enough, you start to see a face. 
I see faces all over our bathroom tiles and walls. and That's scary. You do? Yeah. Isn't that kind of normal? Yeah, so do I. Maybe like see a shape of a body. Yeah. Like it's obviously not meant to be or that, like but like your eyes. Animal or something. Yeah. If you look long yeah. enough. But like this, where you can actually make out specific facial features, yeah. like you see the face, mouth, eyes. I guess. Like it looks like a portrait pe- on the people floor. People see faces and everything. Isn't it possible something just somehow resembles a face? But I guess it slowly morphed into one. I just, I don't know if I believe that. I mean, that. there's like Jesus toast. Does that mean right. Jesus is in the toast? <laughs> Maybe what does someone really mean? Well, ju- well, here you go. Well, if you wait, you'll actually find out what happens. So, <laughs> so she's scrubbing away at this, and eventually she's like, "Screw this! We can't scrub it hard enough." So she gets her husband Juan, who then takes a pickaxe and destroys the concrete floor where this face is at. Oh, and then him and his son Miguel laid some new concrete, and then a week later, another face appeared. Ooh. And this one was even more terrifying than the last. Now tell me that that's not just I like agree. a rant. That's not just randomness showing no. up on the floor. That no. is a this one's a lot more picture. believable. Yeah, yeah. Damn, so that's crazy. From a skeptical perspective, how do you create that from something on the floor? In no, that way, I don't know. That almost looks like a painting. That's really. I don't know how by chance that could appear. Yeah, exactly. The first one is just a little more eh, maybe, but this one's really. Well, now it's, you know, it's back and it's back even stronger. Whatever is manifesting this face is actually has somehow gained power and is able to actually manifest itself in a way that is very, very visible. And you can really make out a distinct face. And Maria was sensing a dark and sinister presence lurking in their home. Uh, I would move the fuck out. Mm-hmm. You always think that that's just going to solve the problem, but what if this thing is somehow mm. attached to you, and no that's matter true. where you go, it goes with you? Oh, I really, think really hope people that never will just to assume me. you can run away from spirits or, or demonic entities, but you can't. Really? Unfortunately, no. can't you? Like, if you lived in a haunted house, if you left, it would follow you. You think? Well, you'd have to identify what type of entity or spirit or haunting you're dealing with, because there's all sorts of different kinds, and it depends on. How then, if the entity is somehow attached to the house, is it attached to an object? Is it possessing you? Has it entered your body? There's so many different scenarios that could play out. I mean, that's why there's paranormal investigators mm. because you have to identify what, what the paranormal presence is mm-hmm. before you can really know what to do about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Soon, word spread through the small town and friends and neighbors came to see the face for themselves. So it wasn't just them that saw it. Multiple people saw this. The Perea family were respectable people with a good reputation in the community, so no one had any reason to doubt their claims. They're not known hoaxers mm-hmm. or anything like that. They would never bring this type of attention to themselves. And because of these faces, the family had become like local celebrities. But they absolutely hated the attention, and Juan wanted to tear up the floor again. But before he had the chance, the town's mayor heard their story and ordered the concrete floor was removed and then studied mm. to study the phenomenon. The following April, a prominent professor traveled to the village to consult on the case, and he had found historical documents from the 17th century that claimed a local governor had murdered five people, all members of the same family, and buried them somewhere in the village. So the professor believed that the burial site was perhaps underneath Maria and Juan's home. That's free. Now that can make, make some sense. Yeah. There was already a local rumor that their house was built on top of an old cemetery that used to be part of a nearby church. The Perea family asked the city council for help, 
and they decided to excavate the area beneath their home. So a crew was sent in to dig up the rest of the kitchen floor and the foundation, and they dug about eight or nine feet into the ground when they came upon a set of skeletal remains. They discovered the remnants of a makeshift graveyard, in fact, because they eventually excavated several more corpses, and a few of them were even missing their heads. Researchers determined that the skeletons were likely from the 13th century, and so they gave them a proper burial in a Catholic cemetery, and Marie and Juan both hoped that, you know, by laying them to rest properly, that the paranormal activity would end. The foundation was repaired, and a new concrete floor was laid in the kitchen. And two weeks later, another man's face appeared. Shit. Two weeks after that, a woman's face appeared surrounded by several smaller faces. Oh my gosh, this is creepy. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, if it's happening that many times and these, oh, they look so freaky. That definitely looks like a child at the bottom, right? Yeah. And this other face here on the left kind of looks demonic to me. It almost looks like some type of demon or something. It's giving me like witch vibes. Yeah. Looking mm-hmm. at these two. And it looks like a depiction from like the 13th century, a long, long time mm-hmm. ago, kind of how you would expect a drawing to appear. Yes. Um, they're kind of, they're not quite as portraity as the other images. Mm-hmm. They're more so like sketches, Abstract, I would say. Almost, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It actually seemed that removing the corpses had made things much worse and not better. Oh, God. Cause you're like disturbing their burial ground. Exactly. Maybe there's a reason they were buried there. Mm-hmm. Different faces continue to appear and move around the floor and transform. Sometimes a face would morph completely into a new image over just a few hours. Imagine that. That is some shit. And by now, the strange phenomenon had spread all over Spain and across the world. Hundreds of journalists, students, priests, historians, paranormal investigators, and tourists traveled to the village to see the Bellman's faces. The family's home became a popular tourist destination called La Casa de las Caras, the House of the Faces. Look at these faces, though. Look how creepy yeah, that is. Yeah, they're really creepy. creepy. The Very one on sp- the right's fucking creepy. And that one's scary. Yeah. They're so much more distinct than that first one. Like this, to me, this looks like depictions or manifestations of, of tortured souls. You know, like God. people that have yeah. been sort of in limbo that haven't been able to cross the other side, that are angry, that are full of malice, that are, you know, they're just, mm-hmm. they're very, there's a lot of anger there from their death potentially. They all look so different too. So, you know, it's multiple people. Yeah. Or yeah. They're definitely coming through. Definitely different. A renowned German paranormal investigator named Dr. Hans Bender visited the house and called the faces the most important paranormal occurrence of the 20th century. And by 1972, the professor who discovered proof of the graveyard made several EVP recordings while inside the house. One of these recordings sounded like a child's voice, and they were described as a mixture of hell and a brothel. That is really scary. I don't hear the brothel as much, but definitely the hell vibes. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like just anguish, pain. Yeah, it's really creepy. It's important to note that when these EVP recordings were made, Maria was not home. And 
this is because a lot of people believe that Maria may have had something to do with these face making these faces appear because she did believe that she had some psychic powers, which obviously people are going to always be skeptical about somebody who says I have psychic powers. Mm -hmm. So people are starting to think that maybe Maria was somehow involved with these horrific sounds that were heard. But in fact, she wasn't involved in them at all. Over the next decade, more scientific and paranormal researchers traveled to the village to study the faces. And after countless experiments and studies, no one had an answer for what was going on. In September of 1990, researchers from the Spanish Institute for Ceramics and Glass, a part of the Spanish National Research Council, launched their own investigation. They cut and removed sections of the concrete floor to test the materials. After analyzing the markings, researchers determined that there were no traces of paint or dye of any kind. They sectioned off the rest of the kitchen floor and took pictures of each section to document the current faces that were there because they were changing all the time. A German TV crew and the town's notary witnessed the research team seal off the room. First, they covered the floor in a cloth and sealed the cloth with wax at the edges. Then they used wax to seal the windows and the door shut. No one would be able to get into the room without them knowing. However, three months later, they unsealed the room and pulled up the cloth. And everyone was shocked to see that the faces had moved around the floor and several had transformed into new figures. I mean, that's a pretty good experiment to do. I mean, that's probably what I would have done to research this is, you know, completely covered up. So there's no way somebody could come in there for one, enter Mm -hmm. the room and then do something to the floor without without noticing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the faces still appeared and they moved and transformed. I don't know how you argue that. So people who think it's still a hoax believe that. Maria like went in there, used her psychic powers or something. Oh, did some. Yeah. In a similar experiment, they ended up putting transparent plastic all over the floor and researchers watched in amazement as the faces continued to move and change under the plastic. So these experiments were pretty much proof that the faces weren't being created by someone living in the house or anyone else. But many still believe that that's the only reasonable explanation. They blame Maria and Juan's son, Diego, for creating the hoax. Skeptical researchers have theorized that similar markings could be made by chemicals that react to light. For example, silver nitrate becomes darker under ultraviolet light. Others have suggested that maybe an oxidizing agent could have been used to create the same effect. But she must have been a serious artist to make all these And a scientist, honestly. Like, you'd have to know, like, chemistry in order to pull this off. And to break in and do it during all these experiments as well. There's no way. There's just no way. You saw a picture of Maria. You really think Maria was in there, like, like, doing this? No. Another theory is something called thoughtography. This is a phenomenon where a person's thoughts or emotions are transferred onto physical surfaces. Several people noticed that the faces seemed to change along with Maria's mood. And she did claim to have psychic powers. Right. But if this theory was true, then the faces should leave when Maria does. But when she died in 2004 at the age of 85, psychic researchers were anxiously waiting to see how the faces would react. Unfortunately, the reports have been mixed. Some people claim the faces still appear stronger than ever, while others say the faces have faded into almost nothing. A popular psychic researcher named Pedro Amaros I've talked about him a few times on my channel when I used to report on psychic predictions, actually. Oh, really? Interesting. And I always pulled from Pedro. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, he made things even more confusing. He claimed to discover <laughs> faces in other areas of the family's home, which led to more media coverage and tourists flocking to the area. But his claims have been widely discredited. Mm. 
In 2014, the house was featured in an investigative show called Quarto Melanio, and the producers hoped to prove that the faces were just a hoax. The show's research team was led by a highly respected doctor in chemical engineering and an equally respected forensic criminalist. The researchers determined that the marks were definitely not made by paint and concluded that the faces were not a result of external manipulation or elements. The team had tried to reproduce the effects using all the theorized methods, but nothing they tried looked like the faces. Many people believe that the faces belong to Maria's ancestors, who were massacred during the Spain Civil War, while others are convinced they're the trapped souls of the people buried beneath the house. The physical bodies of these murdered people may be gone, but that doesn't mean that their spirits aren't still there. That's what I am leaning towards. You know, just because you move a body doesn't mean a spirit is not going to still be yeah, and spirits, part of that space. Spirits will do all sorts of things to manifest mm-hmm. themselves, you know, and they can manifest on different surfaces and different ways. I mean, that's why there's so many. That's why you can't really like categorize different types of paranormal phenomena because it's every case <laughs> yeah. is unique in itself. I mean, there's we don't understand mm-hmm. this this other world at all, yeah. really. You know, we can merely just guess at what might be happening. But it's very possible that it's it's either the spirits that are sort of trapped in this house or somehow attached to the land that's there potentially. Yeah. I think it could be thoughtography too, and that perhaps Maria really did have some sort of psychic powers and was mm-hmm. able to sort of burn these images of her ancestors or sort of channel her the her ancestors' souls or spirits and manifest them in a way that they show up on the floor. But the fact that she's kind of like, unsure, and maybe she did this without really knowing. Maybe it wasn't something that she was actively trying to do. And it was just something that was happening yeah, right. as a result of. Because they're connected to her and she has that right. sense, whatever right. it is. They were sort of just being channeled through her like they were mm. using her in order to do that. Because I think, I think for the most part, they've kind of like died down ever since Maria passed. Mm. And I think that, you know, I. It's one of the it's one of those things that we don't really know. I'd be interested if there's anybody from Spain out there that knows, you know, is this place still visited by tourists? Is it still sort of an attraction? Are the faces still appearing? Because it's kind of like up in the air of like, yes, maybe, but most likely not after Maria left. At the end of the day, I think it's really about what you believe in. I think a lot of people would just chalk this up to a hoax or you know, something that Maria was doing in order to create hype around her house for whatever reason, which why would someone really want to do that though? From everything that we know, they didn't want this attention. They were just living normal lives. So why would they want all these people flocking to their house? And there's multiple documented experiments that she really couldn't have unless she's got expert breaking skills and like left no trace behind Unless she was really doing it with her mind from outside the house. I don't know. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially could be some sort of creepy. I mean, those faces got progressively worse and worse and more like detailed. That's really creepy. Yeah, it is. It's really creepy. Definitely one of my favorites. But let's go ahead and get into the next unexplained mystery. And this one is is truly baffling about the Flanan Isles, the lighthouse disappearances. But before we do, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. So the next mystery we're going to be looking at is the Flanan Isles Lighthouse Disappearances. This is a very interesting one. This is also called the Seven Hunters or the Flanan Isles are called the Seven Hunters. And they're a group of uninhabited islands located off the coast of Scotland. Throughout most of the 19th century, the only people who really went to these islands were sheep herders. But legend had it that when the sheep ate grass on the islands, 
they could be cured of sickness and disease. They would also give birth to twins. Very weird. Hmm. It must be something in the grass. Yeah. But there is another legend of a terrifying spirit that haunted this land, which kept anyone from ever spending a full night on any of the islands. But that all changed in 1896 because the Board of Trades approved the construction of a lighthouse on the largest island called Island Moor. The lighthouse was completed in 1899 and the island got its first residence. Four lightkeepers were assigned to the new lighthouse and they had worked on rotating shifts of six weeks on the island and two weeks off. And three of them had to be on the island at all times. In December of 1900, the three men on the island were 43-year-old James Ducat, 40-year-old Donald MacArthur, and 28-year-old Thomas Marshall. James was the principal keeper with 20 years of experience. He spent his off weeks at home with his wife and four children. Donald was the occasional keeper, and he was covering for the first assistant keeper who was on sick leave and also had a wife at home. Donald was well known for his quick temper and violent outbursts when things didn't go his way. Thomas was the youngest keeper at the lighthouse, and the fourth keeper, Joseph Moore, was enjoying his two weeks off at the time. On December 15, 1900, a steamship passed by the island around midnight, and the captain couldn't see the light coming from the lighthouse. When he got to the mainland, he reported the outage, but the northern lighthouse board was never told. On December 26, another ship was heading toward the island with Joseph Moore, the fourth keeper on board. The captain of this ship noticed right away that there was no flag on the island's flagpole. He sounded the ship's horn, but the keepers on the island didn't respond, so he fired a flare to get their attention, but still there was no response. So the captain sent Joseph ashore via the east landing of the island. The entrance gate and main door were both closed, but he found the kitchen door open. He noticed the fireplace hadn't been lit for at least a few days, and all the clocks were stopped. But most of all, there was no sign of the three keepers. Joseph got more men from the ship to help him search the island, while the captain went back to notify the lighthouse board. When the men got to the west landing, they saw that the iron railings were badly damaged, and even a few railings were missing. The tackle box that was usually there was gone, and the mooring ropes kept inside were thrown onto the rocks. The life buoy used for emergencies was also missing. It was kept hanging 110 feet above the sea level, a level high enough to prevent damage from waves. The ropes that held it were still there, but it looked like the buoy had been ripped down. Much later in the 1950s, a historian found anecdotal evidence that the waves around the island could reach as high as 300 feet, so it's possible that a wave might have ripped down the life buoy. When he searched inside, Joseph was surprised to find Donald's coat. December in Scotland was freezing, and it didn't make sense that one of the men would leave his coat behind. He also found the keeper's log. Some of the damage to the West Landing had been noted in the log, so the men must have known about it before they disappeared. The last full log was added on December 13th, and over the next two days there were notes about the time the lighthouse light went out in the morning and atmospheric readings. The final reading was listed at 9 a.m. on December 15th. The log mentioned strong storms and heavy winds around the island, but there were no reports of any storms in the area. Mm-mm. These storms could have been extremely localized or the keeper was lying about the weather, which didn't make sense either. Some have speculated that he wasn't lying, but maybe he hallucinated the storms. The log also said that the morale among the keepers was low. But later, additional logs made by Thomas, the youngest keeper, were found. And according to these logs, the storms they experienced were so intense 
that the men even started to pray for their lives. James had gotten strangely quiet, and Donald was caught crying. The final entry read, The storm ended, sea calm, God is over all. But the authenticity of these found logs has been questioned. Joseph and the other men thoroughly searched the island, and they found no signs of struggle or a fight, no indication of serious damage from a storm. And as part of the Lighthouse Board's investigation, they questioned a man named Roderick McKenzie, the gamekeeper. Roderick was stationed 18 miles southeast of the island. His job was to watch the island for signs of distress and make sure that the light came on as scheduled. The keepers could signal the gamekeeper for help by dropping long poles with discs on the end from the lighthouse balcony. Each night, Roderick recorded when the light went on and if any signals were sent from the keepers. And if he didn't see the light, he was supposed to notify the lighthouse board by telegram immediately. But it turned out that between December 7th and 29th, he only saw the light twice, once on December 12th and again on December 26th when Joseph arrived on the island. Roderick told the investigators that he was concerned but didn't report it to anyone. If he had reported it, someone would have been sent to the island to repair the light right away. Before he went missing, James Ducat had asked the lighthouse board if they could test the response time of the gamekeeper to see how long it would take him to report a problem, but this request had been denied. So what happened to the three keepers on the island? Some believe that they accidentally drowned. If James and Thomas were near the shore and one ended up in the water, maybe the other ran to get Donald to help. Donald could have then rushed outside without his coat, and they were all swept out to sea by the crashing waves. The men may have also been knocked into the sea by sudden gusts of strong winds. Next to the island is the Isles of Lewis, and according to the Guinness Book of Records, the butt of Lewis was once the windiest place in the United Kingdom. All three men were very experienced lighthouse keepers, which makes it less likely that they would make careless mistakes like drowning or being blown off into the ocean, unless they were all drunk or fighting with each other. Some out there have even theorized that two of the men were in a relationship, which somehow led to a violent fight. Donald was already known for being angry and violent, and considering the times and that two of the men were married, an affair with a man would have been extremely scandalous. Especially at that time. Oh yeah. Others believe one or more of the men had a psychological breakdown on the island, and maybe they hallucinated the storms or got paranoid about each other. All of them though? One, or if one of them does, perhaps one of them had a psychotic breakdown and then just killed mm-hmm. the other two. I mean, you're on an island possible. all by yourself out there. Yeah, you could just you get a little stir over. crazy. Yeah. yeah, it'd be very easy to. But mm. where'd the last guy? Where'd the guy that killed the other two go then? Yeah, would he jump over with him? Mm. It's possible one of the men may have been suicidal and jumped off the cliff, and then the other two drowned trying to save him. There have been speculations that some invading force landed on the island and then kidnapped or killed all three keepers. Ooh. Possible. It's very possible. Hmm. The problem with these theories is that there was no evidence of a violent fight, high crashing waves, or strong winds around that time. And the bodies of these men also never washed onto shore. Another possibility is that something paranormal may have happened. Maybe they were abducted by aliens. Maybe. Or attacked by one of the mythological creatures from Scottish legends. I mean, they do believe in a lot of there are a lot. strange creatures up there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the blue men of the Minch, for example, who are a race of strong, vengeful water sprites who come to the surface to sink ships Ooh. and drown sailors. 
The only way to survive an encounter with one is to outwit him in a rhyming duel. A rhyming duel. You gotta like do a little rap battle That's with amazing. a sprite, man. <laughs> That's wild. And then, then if you do good enough, he's like, all right, I'll let you go. Yeah. <laughs> Lose yourself in the music. Oh, Start like doing some like uh, eight Is anyone still here? (laughs) Okay. You guys want to see my eight mile impression? No, no one wants to see it, Josh. Come on. Why am I wearing headphones? (laughs) Hey, you know what? I was told I have a great voice. Oh, God. I can. By like one person. (laughs) (laughs) Yourself. (laughs) It's Virgo season. This is is what I have to deal with on a daily for all of you out there. Um, This is what we have to deal with. Excuse me. But another popular legend came from the disappearance of the lighthouse keepers. When Joseph arrived on the island, three large black birds were sitting on the top of the lighthouse. As he entered the building, the birds all flew away. According to the legend, these three birds were really the three keepers who had been transformed by some supernatural force on the island. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Disney might make a really good movie out of that <laughs> that one that's an interesting one or maybe the black birds just represented their spirits. yeah maybe they around. died and they were like yeah. visiting the mm. lighthouse in, in that form but there's always the slight possibility that the disappearance was planned and that all three men just abandoned their families and took on new identities and then just disappeared into the world never to be seen again why would they do that though all three right of them? why would they they mm. had wives what just not quit yeah doesn't seem like that that big of a deal just to walk away from this job i think i believe more in the minch or the mitch but there's some paranormal aspects yeah the the minch men of minch oh the blue men of minch that's what you think okay maybe (laughs) i say that's more likely than than just leaving and starting new identities potentially because in 1971 the lighthouse was fully automated and the island has never had another permanent resident but those who visit have reported hearing voices in the wind whispering the names of the three keepers, as well as inside the lighthouse itself. Lots mm. of paranormal activity there as well. I think there was some type of fight that broke out and murder that happened there. Really? That's, yeah. I mean, one of the men was very, very, you know, if they were drinking or That's something. That's true. Or they, you know, yeah. And just being, could you imagine being with like two other people, not even like friends really but like co-workers mm-hmm. stranded on this island with virtually nothing else on it but this lighthouse yeah, i can make you go stir crazy for sure cabin fever mm. ever heard of it yeah i've <laughs> heard of it it's possible man god that's and a real creepy now their one, spirits haunt this lighthouse or they just do people still go disappear. to it to try yeah. to see them and... uh the buzzfeed guys i believe visit oh did yeah. they of course they what did. are their names shane and uh, i always forget the other dude's name uh ryan oh yeah he's funny shane and ryan mm. they did they did an episode they went all the this. way there yes That's they so went cool. to it and actually got to go in it and like do a damn Those when you have guys. buzzfeed sponsoring you and paying for it that's that's so nice yeah I really get into it but they they i believe while they were there they like definitely experienced some mm-hmm. some creepiness there oh i'll for have sure. to go watch the episode yeah mm-hmm. really interesting one though yeah for sure We've got one more for you. This one's a bit of a a natural wonder, really, uh, mystery, too. But we'll get into that here in just a moment. But we'll be right back after this break. All right. You ready to get into the last mystery of today? Let's do it. It's the mysteries of the Mirny Mine. Mirny Mine. It's like Mirny Mine. So after World War II, 
the Soviet Union had to completely rebuild its landscape and economy. Their leader, Joseph Stalin, decided the way forward was to become a world industrial leader equal in power to the United States. But in order to do this, they first needed a large number of industrial diamonds. The diamond market was controlled by De Beers, a corporation in the UK that specialized in diamond mining and dominated the industrial diamond manufacturing sectors. In the 1930s, Stalin's geologists had reported that remote areas of Siberia were geologically similar to the regions of South Africa, known for high diamond production. So in 1947, he ordered multiple expeditions to these areas of Siberia. The geologists were sent into the wilderness to test the soil for kimberlite, a type of volcanic rock that contains diamonds, and chemicals that coincided with diamond-bearing deposits. On June 13, 1955, a team of three geologists finally found kimberlite, and one of them announced their discovery using the special code words, I am smoking the pipe of peace. <laughs> Interesting code word. Pipe of peace. Yeah. This code led to the future name of this region, Mirni, which means peace. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. After this discovery, Stalin immediately ordered the construction of the Mirni mine, also called the Mir mine for short. This turned out to be very difficult, more so than anyone expected, as this area of Siberia had seven months of freezing cold winters that left the ground completely frozen solid. The temperature dropped to 40 below zero, and at temperatures this low, the rubber tires on vehicles would freeze and then shatter like glass. Steel beams could snap like twigs, and the fuel they needed to power the machinery literally froze. I mean, I don't think any of us have been in 40 below zero weather. No, I can't even imagine I mean, functioning. So much so that your tires just like yeah. shatter like glass. Mm. It's unreal. To protect their equipment, the entire site and all the machinery had to be covered at night. With the ground covered in permafrost, the crew had to use jet engines to thaw the soil. And when that didn't work, they used dynamite to blast through the thick frozen layers. When the temperatures finally rose and the permafrost melted, it left behind a thick slush that was impossible to build anything on. Structures had to be raised on columns to keep them from sinking. And the main processing plant was built miles away from the mine. Despite this being one of the most inhospitable regions on the planet, the construction was completed. And the mine was opened in 1957, and a few years later it was fully operational. The Mirni Mine is at least 1,700 feet deep, or 525 wow. meters, and nearly 4,000 feet across. That's huge. huge. It's the largest open pit diamond mine in the world, and the second largest pit overall, behind the Bingham Canyon Copper Mine in Utah. To sustain the operations, a small town grew up around the mine. At its peak, the mine produced 10 million carats of diamonds per year. That's insanity. It's a lot of engagement that. rings. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which engagement rings in general, I mean, the whole history of the diamond is pretty interesting. How And pretty scary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the same uh, time. Yeah. We have to do an episode on that eventually. That's yeah, pretty interesting to me. Blood diamonds and stuff. Mm -hmm. No, not just that, but just how the they're diamond not industry. worth yeah. anything yeah, near what they... Yeah, what they're it's actually working. It's a rigged. It's yeah. It's a totally system. rigged system. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to go over that sometime because I think that stuff. They're really not even rare diamonds. No, they're really not. Well, they're pulling out ten million carats of diamonds per year. Yeah. So right. how rare are they? <laughs> exactly. It's rare, like my love. Oh mm. boy, that's cute. No, <laughs> I'm not even wearing my ring today. Yeah, I know. I just realized that. 
Yeah, we're Scandal. we're ending things. Uh oh, they this headed is, to are divorce. We ending? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. I just I put on other rings. I just forgot to put on my wedding ring. Anyway. So out of these 10 million carats of diamonds they were pulling out, 20% of these diamonds were gem quality, meaning they had the four C's, superior color, clarity, cut, and carat weight. The mine was yielding about four carats per ton of ore, which was the highest rate in the world, and produced $13 billion wow. worth of diamonds. That is a lot. Especially back then. Yeah. But the Mirani mines underground operations were relatively small compared to other diamond mines. So the extremely high rate of production didn't make sense to the competition. Plus, as the years went by, the mine should have been producing fewer diamonds, not more. And there was never a dip in the amount of gem quality diamonds coming from the Mirani mine. It just kept just coming. Yeah. Never ending. It's like a buffet of diamonds just coming out of this hole. De Beers executives decided something else must be going on over there. And according to their surveys, the Mirni mine wasn't capable of producing the quality and quantity of diamonds being mined there. So they requested a tour in 1970, but the request took six years to be approved. <laughs> Damn. Probably because they're like, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. right, you're going to come over here and see what we're doing. But when they finally arrived in Russia, they were delayed in Moscow and told that they had to wait for weather conditions to improve. And by the time the De Beers delegates got to the mine, their visas were about to expire. And they only had time for a 20-minute tour. <laughs> for six years? Like, you think you would plan That's better. So shitty. That's a little fishy to me. Yeah. Mm. So what was really going on inside the Mirani mine remained a mystery, which is probably what they wanted. After that visit, outsiders were no longer allowed inside the mine's facilities. And in the 1990s, the mine's operations were taken over by local companies and showed no signs of slowing down diamond productions or profits. But the mine was closed for a while in the early 2000s and the open pit mining was permanently shut down. Underground mining continued around 2009 and is expected to continue for at least 50 years. Even with modern technology, mining is extremely dangerous work. The air underground is temperature controlled, but sudden fires sometimes break out in the tunnels. That's freaky. Yeah. These underground tunnels are like a maze and can be difficult to navigate safely, even for experienced miners. Being a miner would honestly be one of the scariest jobs. Hardest, I absolutely most could not brutal do job, that. Yeah, being underground in yeah. a shaft of oh. that could collapse on you at any point. So much fear. I'd have so much anxiety, and then just the claustrophobia yeah. of the whole thing. That's Ooh. why there's so many hauntings in ghost towns and in old mine shafts. We have yeah. a ton of them here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After the mine flooded in 2017, over 140 miners were trapped underground, and eight couldn't be rescued. The town of Mirni was founded in 1955 and was granted town status in 1959. And today, thousands of residents live in the small community surrounding the mine. But no one outside of the underground crew knows what's really going on beneath their own feet. Every day, 400 tons of rock are transported above ground. The rocks are processed, ground up, and sifted into a machine that scans the stones to locate diamonds. Rock pieces that contain diamonds are sifted into a chemical bath that separates the kimberlite from the valuable diamonds. The contents of this chemical bath are a close guarded secret. Hmm. No outsiders have ever been allowed to witness this process from start to finish. That's so, sketchy. So how they're doing stuff there oh. is a complete mystery. Wow. The airspace above the mine is also extremely dangerous and highly restricted. There have been reports of helicopters and small aircrafts literally being sucked up into the mine by a vortex of air. Whoa, that's really weird. Yeah, what? What's going on? Why is there not more information on that either? 
Scientists believe that the wind currents of warm air may start deep within the mine. And when this warm air meets the cold air at the surface, it creates a force powerful enough to snatch a helicopter out of midair. Whoa. That's wild. I've never heard of anything Imagine like, like that. Imagine like a toilet bowl. It's like what's happening in this mine. Like swirl, air swirling around. So if you fly over, it sucks you down into oh, it. Oh, that makes me think of Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, it's kind of like, like the this Bermuda Triangle of like, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. could it be an underground? Yeah, Something absolutely. Like that, sucking them down. It's like moving the water. The deeper the mine goes underground, the warmer the air. But there's no way for outsiders to verify just how deep the mine really goes. Because the airspace above the Mirani mine is so highly restricted, the only way to view directly above is from a satellite. So clearly, this there's something going on there that they don't want the world to know about, and what perhaps. The fuck? The Russian, I mean, I'm sure the Russian, I'm sure Vladimir Putin knows exactly what's going on over there. Maybe they're, wow, that's really interesting. But it's top secret. It's it's basically like, uh, you know, some of the military bases here. I mean, it's, you know, nobody can go in or, you know, go into the mine or into the facilities that process the ore coming out that's at so all. Sketch. And they, there's no public, inf- like there's public information about all sorts of other mines out there. Like you can figure out how deep they are. You can mm-hmm. get all the statistics, but for whatever reason, this mine Mirani mine is pumping out all of these diamonds and yet we have no Way idea more than anyone else like what did they find in there how are they able to keep up this production or are they doing something yeah you know or, or maybe that chemical treatment is there some there's something that they're doing that is different than what everybody else is doing that they don't want anybody oh, that to figure is so out weird inside of this mine and the whole air thing is like the the phenomenon or the mystery about this like why is there air why is there this vortex happening here maybe they like stumbled upon like a natural vortex of energy like one of those a portal even like maybe they stumbled upon a portal oh that there's something they're hiding right beyond the diamonds diamonds there that Mm. there's something even more incredible that they're keeping under wraps because they don't want anybody to know that they found it that's really entrance to inner earth perhaps oh maybe surrounded by diamonds yeah there's just so much energy yeah or maybe they did they have started working with some alien species that has here mining diamonds and wow you're getting out there with the they theories, actually maybe. like made a pact with them that's you know we will conceal your identity if you give us part of the diamonds now that's a theory you I never want to hear something better in know. the comments than that you never know though i mean yeah i'm saying it's a good theory maybe maybe it's out there who knows no one fucking knows we what's don't going know. on there so they keep this Keep this highly under wraps. Yeah, we definitely want to know what you guys think about Mirani Mine, you know, about the disappearances in the Isles and Mm -hmm. the Bellman's faces. That one, what was your favorite out of the three? Ah, hmm. The faces were pretty interesting. Yeah, that's my favorite. I think I'd have to go with that one. That was pretty interesting and scary. Yeah, it's creepy, man. Yeah, at first I was a little skeptical. Yeah. But yeah. Tons of research done, tons of experiments. I mean, they have Pretty. the evidence, the photos, the experiments. Yeah, that one's very strange. But let us know what you liked best out of these three. And then also leave us a comment with any other unexplained mysteries we should cover in future episodes. Because we definitely are going to do more episodes like this. We did a whole series of like yeah. unexplained phenomena. Well, actually, don't leave it as a comment. You can, but the best way to get it to us oh, is right. through our request box. We do have a request form. <laughs> so we'll have that linked below. But that's going to be it for Mile Higher Podcast today. We hope you guys enjoyed hanging out and talking with us about these three mysteries that have been, you know, unsolved all of this time. Love it. I Absolutely love the unsolved, unexplained mysteries. 
I do too. Be sure to enter our CBD giveaway, by the way. But that is it for us today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Mile Higher Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to subscribe, like on YouTube if you're watching, and head over to Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. Make sure you're subscribed over there. Leave us a rating and review. We really do appreciate it. It does help us out quite a bit. But we'll see you guys next time. But until next time, keep on taking your mind a mile higher. Oh,